For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know what I want. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I am your host, Samson Folk, and today, a special guest, although all guests are special, this one, a young woman named Krina Mustafa. She works for Raptors Cage, Unbenched, and Overtime Heroics, doing some writing at all those places, some social media managing, and she's a new name in the Raptors sphere as far as writing, podcasting, and all that. And she's here to talk to Raptors today. Krina, how are you doing? Hello. Hi. I'm very happy to be here. Are, uh, what are your thoughts on Boston? Just their, their season so far, do they make you nervous when you think about the upcoming game tonight? They make me a little bit nervous just because of the Raptors' history with them. But as Celtics in general, I think they've been doing okay. Um, I saw someone said that they've been surviving, not thriving. Um, and I think that's true. A lot of the games have been pretty close. The NBA's kind of been upside down this season. Um, they're still pretty solid. I wouldn't be too, too scared of them, but they're doing pretty well. Yeah, Jalen Brown has been putting up insane numbers, and Jason Tatum has two game winners. But it's obvious at this point, they really miss Kemba Walker. I saw somebody say the other day that Boston was where good point guards go to die after somebody suggested Kyle Lowry go to the Celtics. I thought that was <laughs> funny. <laughs> but as far as the game tonight, it is the rematch obviously of that second round series from the bubble, but also Pascal Siakam versus Jalen Brown, seemingly headed in opposite directions so far this season. Pascal looking to rebound after the bubble performance wherein Jalen Brown played really good defense on him, gave him a lot of fits, and Jalen Brown has been setting the league on fire. His off-the-dribble game, super impressive. His jump shooting is on a heater right now, and Pascal struggling immensely to start the year. What do you think of that matchup? And then we'll get into the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I know you're, you're a positive guy, but I got to say, I don't see it going very well with uh, Siakam tonight with that matchup. Hopefully, I'm pretty sure he will get back up on his feet eventually, but I think facing his bubble nightmare will, will not go well. Do you expect them, as far as strategy, their scheme, do you think they'll just run with the same thing and try and hold Pascal Siakam in single coverage with Jalen Brown? And do you think with teams actually loading up on Siakam quite a bit in these past few games that that might offer a reprieve for Siakam, that this might be a good thing? This is my optimism coming out again. <laughs> yeah, a lot of teams have definitely figured out how to, how to cover Siakam and how to defend him. Whether or not that is a good thing, um, I don't know. It depends on how he will react, how he will adjust if he's going to use what he already knows or if he's just going to keep trying to do the same thing and which is just going to end up in a struggle. Yeah. And listener for the record, you're, you're hearing this after the Celtics game. So this could be horribly aged takes from both of us, or maybe we'll sound 
really intelligent, who's to say? The Celtics, though, their particular brand of defense where they're very long everywhere except for the basket. Daniel Tice is an undersized center, although he's still quite good. Tristan Thompson as well, undersized for the position. But in the middle of the floor, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, those guys really long, and they make it hard to get into the teeth of the defense and shoot comfortably. Fred Van Vliet, that's something he had a problem with last year in the playoffs. Kyle Lowry fundamentally was the only Raptors player who could get to the rim consistently, could punish the Celtics when they got caught on the screen or when he got momentum going downhill. Do you see it being any different in this game, or do you think the the toll will still be heavy on Lowry? Lowry, yeah, Lowry has been great. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of a lot of the guys need to um, kind of pick it up. I think, I guess, it's really hard to say. I think a lot of our big guys are not like Alex Len and Baines. They're not really familiar with the Raptors how they play yet. Um, I think that's going to be a huge thing that you're going to notice now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it might still be hard on Lowry, but. I mean, let's be positive. Okay, so talking about Len and Baines, so far this season, there's been some conversation. I haven't heard any from the organization or anything like that, but some conversation amongst the fan base that would suggest Len take some of Baines' minutes. Do you think that's tenable? Do you think that's an interesting take? Or do you think they should just stick with Baines going forward? I think it is an interesting take. I think a lot of people had a lot of expectations placed on Baines when we first acquired him because he was like the best guy left or whatever. Um, I think he hasn't really performed to those expectations. I don't know if he was, if people were overexcited about it, but I think Alex Len has been better than people thought he would be. I think you were one of the only people I know that was kind of supporting him before. Um, So I think it's interesting. I think it wouldn't hurt to try. Um, Yeah, like I said, again, like these guys need a lot more practice together. They need time to to melt and work on their games. Yeah, that is true. I I was pining for Alex Len before they signed him. I was like, this is a guy that you want to get, okay? And he shot a lot of threes with the Hawks and then shot basically no threes with the Kings. And his rim defense with the Kings, though, was phenomenal. He was, a, he was a fantastic rim deterrent. And I thought, if he can combine those things, he'll be great. And so far this season, I mean, he's done an okay job of doing that. He hasn't really made it rain from above the break as far as three-point shooting, but his corner three-point shooting has been better than, like, OG and Siakam, which is a little bit nutty, of course. And then there's that tried and true uh, strategy where you just poach players from the Kings because you know they've mishandled so many of them. Rashawn Holmes, please, I hope to God he comes to the Raptors someday. It just seems like a really tried and true strategy. But Len, yeah, (laughs) Len, I think, is uh, very interesting. Whether he takes more minutes from Baines, I'm not sure. I think Baines is the higher upside play for one season. And considering Baines is on a fundamentally a one-year contract, as is Boucher, as is Len, Boucher and Baines, because they don't have the second year guaranteed. I think you just want to get one good year out of whoever you're playing. Baines, if he plays and gets back to that early Phoenix form, and I know it's only one year, but I think that represents the highest ceiling. But I mean, Alex Len is a fantastic plug-and-play player. He's, he's very easy to just stick into a lineup, tell him to shoot the corner threes, tell him to roll to the rim and tell him to try and swat shots. But the guy who's been actually the most impressive 
Chris Boucher. He's been fantastic. What have you thought of him so far? Yeah, I've always been a Boucher fan, like even before. I mean, there were a lot of people that were kind of doubting him. And I was kind of there in the shadows like, oh, I actually I actually like this guy. Um, he definitely has a case for most improved player. Um, I think a lot I've seen he's maybe not as consistent as times. But I think if Nurse gives him, keeps giving him a chance and keeps giving him minutes, I think you'll see that he can be really impactful on this team. And I think I saw someone say that they should be starting him instead of Siakam which is another interesting idea. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's dive into that. That was something I answered, actually, because for every reaction podcast, I read off the top quick reaction comment um, from Discus, and then I respond to it. And the person suggested that the rappers would have won if Boucher had started at the four instead of Siakam <laughs> when the Raptors played the Pelicans. Now, that's interesting because... On its face, you say, well, Boucher was much better in that game. Pascal, that was his worst game, for sure. He had a really rough second half against the 76ers, but process-wise, the first half was good. His game against the Pelicans, the most recent one, it was a very tough game for him. Minus 16 in 24 minutes, fouled out, couldn't get anything going offensively. And Boucher, 24 points in roughly that amount of time on the court, and a positive. I think he was a plus 11. What do you think it would do to the rotation? And for the record, I don't think this happens, by the way. I don't think they would ever take Pascal Siakam out of the, the starting lineup. But what would you do with the rotation if you were trying to be a mad scientist and bring Siakam off the bench like that? Yeah, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't, I don't see that happening either. But I, I do think that's very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Pouchet is, is a good player. I don't know how he would do starting. I think he, he does well leading the bench and leading those guys. I don't know what I would do. I, well, i give Malachi some minutes, but that's another issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Boucher really benefits from playing against bench picks. I think that they're less capable of punishing his lack of weight or they're not, you know, they don't have the skill or the craft to punish him if he gets bounced off his line. If he's playing a starting center, I think they have enough, you know, craft, they have enough speed, they have enough uh, combinations of all those things that if they get past them, they can avoid those long arms coming to reject a shot or they can bump them off his line with their strength. But bench bigs, kind of like Chris Boucher, you're kind of choosing a couple different attributes and running with it because rarely do they combine everything. And Boucher, as far as defensively, he can hang a lot better with bench bigs, I think. Offensively, I mean, hey, you can throw him in the pick and roll. He'll be a vertical threat, and he'll be good, I think, just going forward. But, okay, backcourt stuff, Karina. In your piece for the intermission, five potential stars for the NBA season, you highlighted Fred Van Vliet, the lovable Toronto Raptor, as a candidate. In the piece, you noted improving his finishing at the rim. Okay, and that's been a big part of his game. Obviously, he talked about it after the game against the Pelicans and said he heard everybody talking about it. He doesn't want any of the praise going forward, seemingly taking the stance that he's saying, I'm good at it now. Now, the statistics don't agree with that at all, but I'm glad he feels better about it. And I hope he improves going forward. But what have you thought about Fred on his path to stardom or pseudo stardom this year? Do you feel good about your prediction at this point in time? Okay. Well, Fred started out a bit rocky um, after he 
he got paid. I think he let it get a little bit to his head. Um, but he's had a couple of solid games, and I think that's, that's kind of promising. Um, one of my concerns is that when his threes aren't falling, that seems to mess up his game a little, and I think that goes for a lot of the players on the Raptors. I love his driving to the rim. Um, he's got a really nice layup that he does when he slips through defenders that I absolutely love, and I don't see it from him as often as I'd like to. Um, but I think he does have the potential to really, really improve in that sense. So I still have a lot of hope and positivity for him. So as far as the roadmap for getting to that layup that you cite more often, are you wanting just to see that? Or are you looking for him to emulate some of what Kyle Lowry might do, where you throw your weight around a little bit so that defenders aren't as close to contest on you? What are you looking for him in particular? He's definitely have to, he definitely has to improve in that sense. I think that Lowry is like one of those guys who, you know, he's going to get there and like, puffing and puffing with all of his might. And I think a lot of our other guys, like including Fred, they start to get a little bit flustered in the paint. Um, so yeah, I would like to see him throw his body around a little bit, kind of challenging whoever's in his way. But at the same time, we also need that spacing for him and that that's going to come in time with our, with our bigs. Okay, and then last comment, Ari, Fred. It's always been a point of contention with Raptors fans and analysts alike. And I would assume a little bit in the organization, is how much time Fred spends on ball, how much time he spends off ball, how often are they featuring Kyle and Pascal and using Fred's gravity and spacing. What have you thought about that this year? Have you liked the mix they've been in? There's definitely, like, there's so many things that they do well. Um, I think that they just, they have to keep moving the ball. I saw, I was watching some highlights, and he, he can get to a point where he doesn't always need to be with the ball all the time like he's also really good at knowing where other players are on the court and like for example if it's a bounce pass to norm or whoever is open um i think he's got a good awareness in that sense and i think they can still keep working on that okay and you mentioned earlier malachi flynn thoughts on the flynn situation does it upset you are you enraged what's happening over there it upsets me a little bit i'm very curious as to why nurse is not giving malachi minutes i think Malachi proved himself in preseason. Um, he was definitely better than LaMelo. I feel like Nurse is the only coach in the NBA that's not playing as rookie right now. I'm not really, like, I don't know why. Has, has he said anything about that? I haven't seen any comments or quotes regarding it. He's typically been kind of a curmudgeon with the younger guys, right? It, if you go back mm-hmm. to last year when Terrence Davis was still in the good graces of fans, everybody was clamoring for more Terrence Davis minutes over Patrick McCaw. And in that season, Terrence Davis is the rookie. McCaw is the, you know, he's won three championships, although through no fault of his own, (laughs) fundamentally, I think. But he's won three chips. He's been around good winning teams. He profiles as a plus defender, even if it's not always the case. And he's responsible with the ball, even if that means he's, you know, far less potent offensively than Terrence Davis or Malachi Flynn. But apparently Nick Nurse loves that guy. You could see some clips from Open Gym where Patrick McCaw was, obviously he he crossed the guy over and knifed into the lane for this huge finger roll over the uh, rotating defense. And you're like, holy smokes, this is what this guy looks like in practice. No wonder he gets playing time. But Nick Nurse, I think it is just a by proxy of him playing well in practice, being a vet, that's why he likes playing him. And I guess when we're looking at it now, 
Terrence Davis, Stanley Johnson. I think that's the reasoning behind why Malachi Flynn isn't playing. Although I, I disagree with it. I think that's short-sighted, honestly. Yeah, I disagree too because I see you see when Lowry is not on the floor, there isn't anyone that's kind of picking it up as a leader for the playmaking because Fred still can't really run the offense when Lowry's not on the floor. And I would think that Malachi would be an interesting candidate for that. So I'm kind of sad that we haven't seen that so far. Yeah, and Nick Nurse comes along as this very creative mind. That's what he's touted as, right? And you're thinking as the Raptors get absolutely smashed in another third quarter when they can't score, why not try Malachi at the head of the offense, run some guys around him? And from the preseason games and from his his college career, he's been fantastic at manipulating passing lanes, and he is very responsible with the ball in his hands. He's not a super turnover-heavy guy, and he has a mid-range game as a release valve if the offense gets stuck. He just needs a pick, get downhill a little bit, throw up a shot, see if he can break the guys out of a funk. It would add diversity to an offense that just shoots threes, where it's Fred Van Vliet pick and roll, he gets downhill, can't find space for his own shot, either gnashes it and comes back out, takes his own three, or just passes out to, you know, a covered player in the corner. They have to reset, or that guy takes a contested three-point shot. If you add Malachi Flynn into that, I think just by proxy of his talents, which is basically what basketball is, putting guys who are capable on the floor, you would find better offense. Now, does that mean the Raptors win games? You know, I'm not super sure. I guess that's that's a good question. Do you think Malachi Flynn would swing any of these games because there is a bit of that sentiment out in the in the fan base? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's smart to kind of put it all on oh if Malachi's in then we're winning all of these games, but I do think that it would help a lot with our offense and I think it would help with cuz in the second half we just undo everything we've done in the first half and that's just so infuriating. Um, and I think like if you put in like Matt Thomas with Malachi Flynn, and that was an interesting duo that I actually liked during preseason. I think some Raptors fans were calling them another version of the Splash Bros, making the third quarters so disastrous. Yeah, Matt Thomas, I'm very glad you bring that up. He's very, very interesting to me this year. It seemed like in the preseason, he was able to put the ball on the floor a little bit. It made him more dangerous when he's attacking closeouts. It made him tougher for teams to scheme for because they can't just push him out past the three-point line. His off-ball cutting was really sharp. He even got to the rim on some occasions, right? And as far as playmaking, nothing to phone home about or to be super excited about, but he could pass the ball around. He could legitimately make passes within the offense. And him and Malachi, I thought, was really intriguing. As you said, they run a lot of, a lot of nice actions for Matt Thomas, and he seems like the best suited player to punish teams in those actions. Whereas now they have Stanley Johnson and Kyle Lowry just passing the ball back and forth as the second stick off the clock. And maybe it's Kyle Lowry just wanting to get Stanley going, but Stanley saying, it's not me, dude. Like (laughs) it's gotta be you. And as far as that goes, Stanley Johnson, a lot of play Nick nurse citing his size, his defensive intensity and pedigree as a reason for why he's getting minutes. What have you thought of him so far? I think it's amazing that he hasn't been the worst player on the floor. <laughs> I'm like, I thought when he first put him in, I was like, wow, Stanley Johnson, that, that's interesting. And I kind of like that Nurse has put in a bit of his trust into this guy. I think he's finally like 
getting his his time, getting to prove himself. Um, I think it's exciting to watch him. Okay, that's I didn't expect that. I've also I enjoyed Stanley Johnson's game against Philadelphia. That was the one I enjoyed. I thought his defensive rotation was really nice. He had a couple big pop defensive plays that you know it's always fun to watch a really nice rotation and then verticality. You know Kyle Lowry does it all the time. Seeing it from Stanley Johnson as a big, strong guy is nice. Offensively, still waiting on a lot of that to come around. Are you looking for anything more particularly from the Raptors? End of bench guys, like DeAndre Bembry seems like he fits the mold of Stanley Johnson just as well, although profiles as a much better passer. Yeah, I actually like Bembry now that you mentioned it. I haven't seen him as much either. I'm ex- what am I expecting? I'm expecting... I want I want Nurse to play around with rotations a little bit more like he did earlier. I feel like now he's hasn't been playing around with them as much as I like to see before. And I think that's like causing us to get stuck a little bit sometimes. So I'd like to see him play around with those bench rotations a little bit more, kind of see who fits with who. It's like we have such a small sample size right now, so it's really hard to dictate what will work and what will not. That's a great point. Small sample size, if you're going by the numbers, which is typically what, of, what a lot of people have to do. Obviously, a lot of people who cover the team watch every minute and then watch every minute again. And then some people go for a third time over a game where they pour over certain players' shot attempts or minutes and stuff like that. But for the most part, even if you're finding good stuff in the eye test, even if you're finding good stuff in the numbers, it's hard to find that to be ironclad predictive for something going forward as far as something going forward though that I think is definitively part of the Raptors their ethos whatever they've been doing they're shooting a significant amount of threes the most in the NBA by you know a hefty sum and hardly any free throws barely any rim pressure do you think they're doing this out of necessity or do you think they've done a poor job of tailoring their offense to their players I don't like it. I don't like it at all. We put a lot of those runs together, yes, when when the players have a hot hand, but also when we're driving it to the rim and when we're able to secure those easy points. And I feel like we just get like too too rushed when they're just relying on the three pointers. Like their play, they're going way too fast, and they just it's just not falling. And I I don't like it. Yeah, you never like to see an offense that is overly dependent on any one thing. That's always, it spells doom when you're going towards the more meaningful games in the playoffs. I mean, we saw it for a long time during the regular season with the DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry-led teams that ran a ton of pick and roll near the most in the league as far as frequency. And DeMar DeRozan got to the line a lot in that play type, but... Teams schemed for them in the playoffs, and they were far less potent in that play type, both Kyle and DeMar. Their offense always went off a cliff, and that's it's a shame because you have to have an offense that can do a lot of different things. If you look at the championship-level Raptors of 2019, you had Kawhi Leonard as far as his ability to snake the pick and roll, get middle and hit mid-range jumpers. And if the big man stepped out too far, he could get to the rim. You had Kyle Lowry's motion offense. You had the opportunistic Pascal Siakam. And then you had guys like Norm who could pop in for a shot every once in a while. Marcus Saul to hit a three and kind of release the pressure. And Serge Ibaka working in the middle. The Raptors so far 
have basically existed just at the three-point line. And that's, that's very hard to do. As far as when you're thinking of that team, not the 2019 Raptors championship one, that might make all of us a little bit too sad or a little bit too happy. I guess it depends. But when you think of this team, is there anything particularly you're looking for? For me, I just want Pascal Siakam, more screen help, downhill more often. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? I want Baines and those bigs to be a little bit more familiar because I feel like when Lowry's on the floor or whatever, like they don't know where they are. And Baines has a different style of play than what, for example, like Mark or Serge uh, when we had them. And Baines like likes to depend on those, you know, those mid-range like floaters and shots. And so he's when he goes under the rim, he attracts all those defenders with him there. So there is no spacing um, for anything. And I just, I want them to kind of practice a little bit more. And I'm I'm curious to see if Chris Finch will do anything with him, whether they're going to try to get him to work the way Mark did before, or if they're going to try to use some of Baines' game and like incorporate that as well. I find it very interesting that they successfully, the guys like Kyle, Fred, OG, have been forming up and moving off ball really well off of Pascal Siakam's drives. When teams really load up, I think Siakam's been making the right pass. As you say, though, Baines not really, what would the term be? He's not doing a great job of using his, his gravity. And sometimes mm-hmm. even when Pascal Siakam has space to work in the post, Baines will flash to the ball and he'll bring the defender over the help side. You can do that with a guy like OG if OG is just stuck on his dribble. Flash middle, and you saw last game OG with a nice little backhanded pass to Baines. But with Pascal, you probably want to let him work in isolation, especially if he has a smaller, weaker player on him. Let him get his groove back. Let him work in the post. Space out to the weak side. But Baines, as you say, needs to be more familiar with what these guys do to make their offense work and the Raptors are still having trouble doing that. That's why Alex Len, Chris Boucher, who have you know their own identities, but they don't infringe on much of what's going on out there. You can just tell Alex Len, like, hey, go stand in the quarter, pal. If the ball comes to you, throw it up there. And he's been doing that. With Baines shooting 20% from three this year, he's a bit more of a freewheeler on offense as far as screen setting and moving around the floor. It's, uh, he's kind of moved away from that a little bit and hasn't been able to punish defenses that load up. It's, it's been a bit of a shame, I would say, actually. Yeah, I agree. Moving ahead, the Raptors, they're one and four. By the time you hear this podcast, could be one and five, could be two and four. I know this is a very silly question to ask, but would, <laughs> I'm asking you right now, would that mean a lot to you if they were two and four? Just the status of two and four versus one and five or are you focused more so on the process of this game, even if they win, even if they lose? I think I'm more focused on the process just because the Raptors wins, they're going to come, like they're going to burn eventually. I don't think it all rests on today's game. I don't think we should panic if we go 1-5 or if we should be like really happy if we're 2-4. Um, it's definitely all about the process. They they will figure it out eventually. They will break through. Like I, I don't think the Raptors are you know, at the bottom of the East. Like, I don't think that's where they are right now. They just have to break through that barrier and they will, I'm certain. Okay. And as far as process, 
What have you liked this year? What are some of the highlights you've seen from the Raptors where you tuck that away and say, that is for sure a good thing that's happening? (laughs) I really like that they've been able to maintain those double-digit leads in the first half, like regardless of what happens in the second. I think the game against the Knicks, our one victory showed what we, we need to do. And we just, we need to score more than the other team in the second half. Like it's as simple as that. And I like that they've been able to do it so far. Like against the 76ers, we had pretty good lead, um, even though that disappeared after. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that. I saw in the most recent game against the Pelicans, in the, that fourth quarter, you saw a little bit of the old Raptors come to life where they were fighting for the ball. And I really like that as long as they look like they want to be there, I'm okay with it. I just, I, I want their like mentality to be positive and like they can do this. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like I don't want the, the negativity to get to their heads. And when they're in that like confident mindset, they do a lot better. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. The dialogue around Siakam, especially from himself and from coaches, they seem to be focusing, they use the term fun and enjoy, which you rarely ever hear as far as analysis from coaches and from guys who are commenting on their own games. It isn't often you hear a guy focusing on, I need to have fun, I need to enjoy myself out there again. And as far as like the covariance that you know happens with winning, playing well, and how that factors into being in, having an enjoyable time out there, I'm not sure. But I do find it interesting how much of the conversation, especially with Pascal, revolves around that. And I don't know if that indicates that he is more of a, you know, there is a lot going on with him and his mindset contributes a lot to his game. I'm not sure. I don't know Pascal and I'd be, would be hazardous to make any type of guess at that, his uh, mental framework, anything like that. But I do find it interesting that the comments from the organization seem to reflect those types of ideas. As far as the playing themselves back into a game, I've had a tough time watching the team do that because it's hard to tell if they're playing good basketball or if they're just hitting more threes. You know what I mean? Because when they got back into the game against the Pelicans, they hit three straight threes, including you know a bananas Norm Powell pull-up, and then Kyle Lowry kind of muscled his way into the paint, got in a little baby hook, and then they were in the lead all of a sudden. It's like, holy smokes. Where's this team been? But maybe it's just they're hitting shots. Like, as far as process, once again, to use that term, do you see anything different or is it just shot making sometimes? I mean, part of it is shot making. I think another part of it is defense. Uh, I think our defense isn't where we want it to be at all, but it's those moments when we do tighten up on defense where you kind of see that old Raptors, like, game and mentality um the defense has been a little bit weird to me I feel like they've been letting themselves get like a little bit scattered they're not sticking to their guy um but it's those there's they have their moments when their defense just clicks and that that is that should be the identity of the Raps. that's very interesting and that's I really enjoy that because there's one thing Raptors fans have come to enjoy these past couple years and that is defense and we say ah the defense isn't doing so well and the Raptors are a top 10 defense and they were as high as top two before the Pelicans game per defensive rating and could you imagine being a fan of like the Wizards or something just (laughs) watching teams score relentlessly on you and you can never get a stop of course the Raptors is like the inverse problem right like they can't score at all 
And of course they had the one game against the Knicks where I think the Knicks didn't score for seven straight minutes, which is kind mm-hmm. of nutty, but the Raptors have four minute droughts, three minute droughts all the time. And the, it speaks to that diversity again, of course, of what the Raptors are looking for. But as far as Raptor stuff, do you have any other comments, anything else that's been uh, sticking out to you that you find interesting? No, I think I've mentioned everything that I've been interested in. Perfect. Okay. So if we've mentioned everything, then I suppose it's time for us to, to buckle up and get ready <laughs> for a game against the Boston <laughs> Celtics and uh, revisit this, not as podcasters, but as listeners tomorrow and see how close we got. Are you expecting, do you feel <laughs> you'll be accurate? I mean, I hope, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, obviously not about the Siakam thing, because my prediction for Siakam is not that great. I hope I'm wrong there. But in terms of the Raptors winning, I, I hope I'm right. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, man, I hope so too. I think it would be really nice for the collective fan base, the organization, the players, if the Raptors won. I'm not sure if it yeah. puts away all the demons or anything like that, but it, it I would think be a nice. lot of the a lot of the frustration is that all of these games that we've played have been winnable. Like we could have won any of these games. And I think that's why fans are so frustrated. So I just like just to go out and actually finish a game that we started would be really nice. Yeah, that's that's very concise. I like that a lot. The game against Philadelphia of the Philadelphia writers I follow and know and talk to were saying, wow, Philadelphia never wins this game. Usually Toronto wins this game going the other way. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. usually they do. And you're just watching the Raptors lose a bunch of games that, you know, typically they win. There, there isn't a whole bunch of reasons outside of offensive droughts to yeah, say exactly. why the Raptors wouldn't be, you know, 5-0 and right now. Of course, it's not fair to say that. It's just, you know, hypotheticals <laughs> are the end of everybody all the time. But 5-0 and is not as far away as one might think, although it is completely far away in that it didn't happen. <laughs> so anyway, Krina, thank you for coming on. This has been a blast. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Okay. And before we get out of here, the floor is yours. You can plug away. Uh, some people do book recommendations. Some people plug their own stuff. Like for me, I'd plug Minute Basketball or something like that. But for you, I mean, hey, if there's a book you really like, you, you go right ahead. <laughs> a book? Mm, I don't oh, know. You don't I have mean, to. Always... Just saying you know, <laughs> the floor is yours. If it's a movie, if it's, if it's anything, right. if it's a type of tea, if you're an Earl Grey fan, anything like that, honestly. That's so funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug Unbench Sports because that is run – by some of my dearest friends. I'm part of the team. It's for women in sports, for journalism. And we are starting a new podcast next month called the Unbenched Podcast. We have a bunch of interesting and that some of the top women in sport media coming on. So follow us at unbenched underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Could I get a, a sneak peek? Who, who's one of the people you have coming on? We have Tara Sloan coming up on one of the episodes. Wow. Good guess. Good for you guys. <laughs> Thank you. All right, listener. I, uh, I encourage you to go to Unbenched as well. Support good people doing good things. That's uh, generally what everybody should be pursuing, at least in some part in their life. So go do that. And I think you'll enjoy it. Krina, thank you so much for coming on. It's been, it's been a blast. Anytime. Thank you.
Okay, and listener, that's it for you. That's it for me. That's it for Karina. But we have the rest of our lives to look forward to. Grim, maybe not. Optimistic, who knows. But whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.